Welcome Mistakers and Mistakers on Mistakers.co podcast and do not forget, there is nothing like failure. My name is Flo like Florian. For the last 10 years, I've been setting up startups from Colombia to Georgia through France and Dubai, going from mobile applications to websites and automation SaaS solutions with always a French touch of digital marketing. After struggling in a lot of aspects and after learning from my own mistakes, I decided to help other entrepreneurs by sharing more stories, learnings and experiences. Mistakers.co is the weekly podcast where I'm doing the interview of entrepreneurs worldwide. Our main goal is to share their learnings and experiences by commenting their own failures and stories. Far from being an easy task, it will take us through the big and small startups from single entrepreneurs to bigger companies. If you're looking to solve your current problems by learning from others, this podcast is made for you. So join us on mistakers.co and you can also find us on the main podcast platforms like Spotify and iTunes. And don't forget, subscribe to our newsletters to receive the freshest information. And keep in mind, there is nothing like failure. The first season of Mistakers.co is sponsored by Andrew Startup. For the last 12 years, Andrew has been supporting the growth of startups, but don't get me wrong, there is supporting and supporting. Andrew helps dozens of companies and got three exits, three exits in millions of dollars. His current portfolio includes companies like OLX, Tinder, and Startup Green. Even though I've been doing the same job for about 10 years, I'm consulting him when it comes to the release of new projects or the kickoff of new ventures. When it comes to Grossaking, he's definitely one of the most talented person I've ever met and worked with. Andrew is offering us a 15% exclusive discount on his current Grossaking course for the listeners of Mistakers.co. To benefit from this offer, just visit us at mistakers.co slash Andrew mistakers.co slash n-n-d-r-e-w mistakers.co slash andrew this course is coming with videos ready to use documents and most important one-to-one call with andrew himself we are today broadcasting from singapore where we have the chance of doing our second podcast, meeting some of the local entrepreneurs community. And today I'm sitting with Alan Yep. Alan, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Florian. So we're going to spend together about like one hour going through one of your previous experience, Alan. And today the main thematic going to be for us trying to understand uh, what happened when you choose the wrong business model and what does it take to actually pivot a business towards something different? Yes. So, Alan, before we start, how is life in Singapore for you? Uh, Singapore, good thing in, in here is that a lot of uh, events, we have uh, after parties, almost every day you can go for events and meet a lot of people, and free food, and uh, sometimes free beer. <laughs> and when you see the price of the beer in Singapore, it's better to go networking, it will save you so much money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, how many people are living in, uh, in Singapore now? I think now it's about 5.8 million people. And about like 50% are all entrepreneurs for what I can see? No, no? Very, very small. Very small? Yeah. So it's more like corporate, uh, corporate office jobs here? Yes. But there's still a very small and active uh, fintech entrepreneurs community, right? Yes. Uh, most of the startups fintech uh, industry, 50% are foreigners. They come here, they set up company and they run as a Singapore company. Will you have one advice to give to someone who would like to set up a business in Singapore? Oh, if you're in the fintech blockchains or ICOs, good news is uh, Singapore government going to introduce new license that you can get in weeks instead of months. So if, you look, if you're working mainly in blockchain and so on, consider moving to Singapore? Yes. That's, uh, that makes sense somehow for the people yes. listening to us. So feel free to drop us an email at contact at mistaker.co. If you have any question on this regard, we'll be more than happy to forward the question to Alan. Yeah. Alan, before we start, tell us a bit more about yourself. Do you come from an entrepreneur family? This is one of the most interesting questions first because many people will never start business 
thinking that they're not coming from the good background, they will not have the experience, they will not have the support. So do you come from an entrepreneur family? No, uh, none of my family, uh, none of them is in business. So I'm the only one that actually uh, go into business. And uh, do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have two sisters. They are working for uh, MNCs, uh, I mean international companies. And you're the first one who decided to go uh, for the entrepreneur? Uh, I don't quite like the working jobs life, so one way to go is entrepreneurs. You have all the free time you can have. And what do you prefer from the entrepreneur life? The freedom of organizing your day? The freedom of working for yourself? What does excite you more on this? I can wake up at 11am, 10am. <laughs> and usually what time do you wake up then? Uh, around that time. <laughs> around that time. <laughs> so you go to bed then? Maybe 3 4 a.m. or 3 4 a.m. Yeah. So you want a night hold and a, a daydreamer. Yeah. <laughs> That's good to know. Um, but I mean, let me know before you, before you, you, you became before you become sorry an, an entrepreneur. Mm. What what the, the the dream job the main job you dreamed about when you were younger than that? Um, I actually study engineering, uh, microelectronics engineering, and I wanted to be engineer, but I came. I came up in uh, 1999, and that time, Asia crisis, uh, Southeast Asia crisis, a uh, financial crisis in 1997, uh, is very bad. And engineering jobs, one opening is 1,000 people apply. So I cannot get the. I mean, I, I apply and I fail to get the jobs, and then I try to go into uh, IT, and I got it in IT. So back then, have you considered like moving to the country? You really wanted to stay in Singapore. Uh, moving to where? <laughs> I don't know, any country in the Southeast Asia, Middle East, or Europe, North Africa, we know? No, never thought of. <laughs> never thought of that? Um, Alan, yeah. where have you lived so far? Are you 100% Singaporean or you got the chance of experimenting a few other places around? Um, I travel between uh, Malaysia, Singapore and Vietnam. Yeah. So some of the most active countries in, uh, in Southeast Asia? Yeah. Uh, Vietnam is the best place to go. <laughs> Why do you think that Vietnam is the best place to go? Uh, good food, uh, cheap beer. Cheap beer also, so beer being one of the main vectors of entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah, uh, one US dollar, one bottle, here is like four or five dollars. <laughs> yeah, we, we saw yesterday when we tried to go out after the podcast, like you, you, you can't invite everyone like that on the table, it will be like suicide. Yes, yes. Um, Alan, so... You see to become an uh, engineer, mm. start to playing for a job, yeah. don't find a job, yeah. and start going to the entrepreneur world. No, I go to IT job. IT job first. Yeah. How long did you spend in corporate world? I think about 10 years. 10 years? Yeah. And uh, what was the position you had back then? My last job was with, uh, my last job was with uh, IBM Singapore. I was a relationship manager for Singapore Airlines project. So uh, Singapore Airlines outsourced the IT department to IBM and half the globe of the branches, the technicalities, the delivery, all in related to their technical system. Uh, I'm actually one of the managers in charge. And during those 10 years, did you feel the, the need of experimenting something else? Have you tried a few businesses on the side or you mainly stayed focused on your 996, nine, 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 I guess? Uh, I did a lot of uh, side, side work. I did for door-to-door -door sales before, car sales. Um, exhibition sales and uh, anything that I see that I can try, I try. So you tried during those 10 years a few side projects. Do yeah. you have any project you know that really stayed, stayed into your heart during the last 10 years, something that you will remember forever? Uh, you mean in terms of work or side projects or business? On side projects. Side projects. No. Personally, I have sold more than 1,000 computers on my own to to clients, friends, strangers. <laughs> and uh, but part of the side projects yeah. you worked on during those 10 years, could yeah. you maybe mention one of them? Oh, I cannot remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> anyway, like we'll find more of the information on the footnotes and uh, <laughs> if you're interested by, uh, by the, the last project, you know, worked by Alan, uh, feel free to contact her once again and you'll get like the full, uh, okay. the full listing out of them. Uh, Alan, one of the questions I love to ask our people, so now that you, you become an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. what could be your totem animal? If you have to represent yourself as an animal, what 
which one would it be tiger tiger yes why tiger uh fierce and uh, i mean it's the design that my designer design actually very cute it's actually on my apps on my profile on my logo everywhere <laughs> so tiger 100% Yes, <laughs> it's very saucy nostalgia. It's like it's something that we never see in the, you know in the country. People we never correlate to a tiger, but whenever you come here, tiger is an animal which is coming much more often than. Uh, it's than a, a it's a common animal uh, in this region, and then uh, when I show my logos, uh, profiles, everything with a tiger, people remember me. Yeah, it makes sense somehow. It's like yes. the common identity behind all your projects. Yes. So, Alan, you. You joined the industry for 10 years, and how did you decide to actually move to the entrepreneur world fully? Um, I started because uh, my friends want to start business, and we came up together and started the first business in Singapore. was a cyber cafe, internet cafe for people to play games. So that was uh, 2009. And we, we, we did it in, a, in a Dobby Got with a sponsorship from a Dell. So you use your connection? Uh, uh, actually go to event and met people and then they sponsor. <laughs> That's cool. So you started in 2009, but what was the main elements that actually, you know, starting shifting you from, the, from one world to the other ones? Was it like, I don't know, like an event, a talk you attended? Uh, someone that really, you know, like pushed this idea into your mind. How? What was the, f you know, this yeah. element that really helped you to move from one world to the other one? Uh, Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, he's a rich, rich dad, poor dad. The book. This book is the one that uh, uh, opens my eyes into uh, entrepreneurships. Sorry, Kiyosaki. You said Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah. And uh, once again, guys, we'll put on the note of the yeah. podcast uh, all the books uh, mentioned <laughs> and other important elements for you. Okay. And um, what do you remember more from this book? Uh, great own opportunities instead of waiting for people to uh, offer you the opportunities. So create opportunities and make sure you're leading your own way uh, around. Yeah, because uh, opportunities don't come every day. So you just create your own. So you started with a with a cyber cafe back in uh, 2009. Yeah, correct. And uh, that was the the beginning of the end for you. Then you never came back to the entrepreneur to, to the sorry the corporate world. No, until now. And uh, so far so good. Uh, surviving. <laughs> so far so good surviving. Yeah. And uh, that's gonna take us to the next part on the podcast. But yeah. we want to know exactly when you start this journey, one of the main failures you have. And once again, today we're going to start discussing about uh, business model, pivot, and yeah. a few rules that you can actually keep with you yeah. to make sure that you're not doing mistakes, or at least that you have the elements in hand to flip whenever, to flip and pivot whenever you have to. Yes. Wanna kick off your project with the best of the best? Visit mistakers.co slash Andrew, mistakers.co slash Andrew, and get an expert in growth hacking by your side. Andrew is offering you step-by-step -step documents to support the launch of any project from mobile application to website. His course includes video, one-to-one -one calls, and a lot of ready-to-use solutions. Andrew Startup is also offering us an exclusive 15% discount on any of his packages. So, don't wait any longer and hire the best of the best. So Alan, you, you started this uh, cyber cafe and how long did you keep this project alive? Uh, two years. Two years, so that was your first entrepreneurial project. Successful experience or unsuccessful experience? First year successful, second year not successful. Yeah, and uh, this is the main reason you closed the project? Uh, no, the, the main reason is because rental increase. Especially in a place like Singapore, I guess? Yeah, the two casinos opened in 2011. So every piece of property rental here all increased like 100%. Okay, so it was making the business not profitable at all after this? Yeah, it's difficult. So you set up this, uh, this cyber cafe and the project we're going to discuss today about is called Vero Bros. Yes. How would you pronounce it properly? Uh, you, can, you can pronounce it viral boss or viral boss, it's the same. Viral boss. Yeah. So, who did come up with this idea and this project? Um, I used to sell products in Groupons and 
uh, that time when Groupon was still alive and then uh, I was thinking of creating my own platform with uh, integration with uh, uh, Groupon plus WhatsApp. Okay. And um, so you, you saw an opportunity or a need on the market? Yeah, because that time WhatsApp is only for communications, Groupon is only for selling. And then each time people have to communicate using Groupon and then WhatsApp. So my idea was to have both together in one single platform on my own platform. So you felt back then that the main problems for people were they had to do an extra step that you could have made faster with your own platform. Yes, correct. Okay, so you started the project to solve this issue, which is like to faster the process of connection between people saying on Groupon and people buying on Groupon. Yes. So you started with How many people will, uh, did start with you the, the adventure? Sorry? How many people did join you on this, uh, on this project? You mean co-founder or investors? Co-founder, investors. What was the size of the team when you started the project? Uh, I started with a uh, few investors, uh, funding of 300,000. And then in one and a half year, I managed to raise about 800,000 US dollars in total. And my team, um, I'm a solo co-founder. And then from there, I hire more people from three person to become 30 staff. 30 staff. Yeah. So how did you go to, to raise the first money? It's like, the, have you got the business plan ready? Were you just like more seed funding? How did you actually get access to this first money? Okay, what I did was I prepared my PowerPoint presentations. I did not have any minimum viable projects or programs. I don't have any models, nothing, just a PowerPoint. And I got to talk to people with the PowerPoint. So the more you talk, the more people will be interested, and then there'll be someone pay money. Okay, so you started the very old-fashioned way that was... When did you start doing that, actually? Uh, 2004. 2004? Yeah, 2014. Ah, uh, 2014. Yes. And uh, so 2014, you make your PowerPoint, you have an idea to actually uh, make the process faster than Groupon, you make the PowerPoint and go start uh, talk with people without any MVP behind it. Yes, correct. How challenging was this? Quite fast. Uh. Yeah? Less than two months. In less than two months, just like that, you managed to raise money. Yes. And uh, why did people actually bet on you on this one? When you have a convincing PowerPoint with the numbers that can show people, uh, investors will be interested. And do you think it will still be feasible today to yeah. do the same? Yes. To go without MVP and talk to investors? Yes. I have a few projects now uh, without MVP. And you keep doing the same way. It's like I make a nice presentation, work on my figures and go talk to people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Same, 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 same process that I did for the, the internet cafe. That's quite impressive. Yeah. And um, do you think Singapore is one, the, it's a key platform to do it? It's a key city to do it? For small money, yes. But for bigger amount, you have to be outside of Singapore. What will be the, 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 the border between small and the big money for you in this case? Uh, Singapore, you can get $100,000, $200,000 from one person. If you want to get more, you go Indonesia, you go other countries. They can... They can invest five thousands, one million, one shot. Okay, so up to a few hundred, which is already good money, by the way, up to a few hundred thousand dollars, you can actually uh, raise it straight uh, from Singapore. More than that, you need to go in the surrounding countries. Yeah, because uh, a lot of uh, people with money in the Southeast Asia, when they like a project, uh, they'll invest. But not Malaysia. Not Malaysia. Why yeah. not Malaysia? I think. Uh, Malaysia, their business, uh, business people is still quite traditional. And when they put in, uh, let's say, 100,000, they expect to have 50% shares, 60% shares. Not the new, not the startups uh, method. Yeah, it's, it won't work in this case for small companies like startups. Yeah, yeah. So to them, uh, it's difficult to get money from them. And it's interesting because, like, uh, we just back from Indonesia, we had the chance of interviewing a few people. Mm -hmm. And we realized that Indonesia is seeing some of the most the fastest growing uh, unicorn in ever. I mean, like Grab, for instance, starting in, uh, I don't know if it's Indonesia they started or Malaysia? Which one? Grab? Malaysia. Great. So Grab started in Malaysia and they're expanding in all Southeast Asia. It's one of the fastest growing unicorn ever. Yes. And then now they're competing with the big players, so they kicked out Uber of the country. They, they've been doing good stuff. Yeah, the Grab founders, they are from a wealthy family, very wealthy family in Malaysia. 
And do you think that helped in this case, in this part of the world, to get connection? Definitely, because you need to get uh, a lot of licenses, especially a transport license. Uh, if you are nobody, it's very difficult. Yeah, so being properly connected will help you to solve some of the challenges on the way. Yeah, because their family uh, distribute Nissan cars, and also they have a tour industry, a lot of things that they do. So it's fit their, their, it actually fits, fits what they're actually doing now. It's interesting, you know, because in, uh, in Middle East, for instance, uh, Karim emerged as a competitor of uh, Uber, mm -hmm. but Karim was mainly protected by the, by the local authorities in those yeah. countries until they decided to sell it back to Uber. So it's very, it's very nasty. It's, it's a very sneaky way of doing business, you know, like make sure that your own business, like we go first and then sell it back to the, yeah. to the other one. So, I mean, let's go back to, um, to the Super Cafe. So you yeah. do it for two years then decide to, to go to this new adventure, Vero Ross, uh, start your PowerPoints, go talk to people, and in two months you raise money. So yeah. what did you do with the first money you raised? Did you first uh, start the project, hire people, get office? What was the first action you took back then? Um, hire people to hire developers, programmers, to kickstart the, pro uh, the projects. And I hired programmers from uh, Malaysia and Indonesia, uh, sorry, program. I hired programmers from Malaysia and Vietnam, and apparently Vietnamese actually did a better job. So that's why we expand office over there. And did you move the people in Singapore? It was like remote job back then. Uh, Singapore is only the managers there. I hire managers and put them in charge in the Vietnam side. Okay, so you you look for outsource team, a remote no, offshore no, team? No. Uh, first initial part, because we got enough funding, uh, we hire our own, own staff to do it. So offshore offices for the same company? Uh, offshore, yes. Correct. And uh, so back then you started your service with three people, or a bit more than that? Uh, we hired uh, six person over there as a start. Six people, and you were doing the back and forward in plane between both of them, or you mainly stay in Singapore to keep raising money and promoting the product? No, every month back and forth. Which has to be quite challenging, no? Yeah. And um, so the initial market you had in mind was mainly Singapore or no. all Southeast Asia? Uh, started marketing in Malaysia. And what was the application language? Uh, it's, in, it's actually English and Malay, uh, dual language. But the, the challenges there is uh, uh, the people there, uh, they don't support local products. They like American products. In Malaysia, mainly. So you develop something from, I mean, something yeah. from your country with your knowledge, with the people from the country. And same, country as Singapore, same as Singapore. Same as Singapore. If it's made in Singapore, the response is not as good as made in USA. Do you think it's because like, why why could you explain that? How would you explain? It's more that? on culture because if you go to Vietnam and you tell people that this is made in Vietnam, the local people support fully, whether they like it or not, whether they use it, use it or like it or don't like it, they actually will support fully. And it's very interesting what you're mentioning. One of the previous developers that we used to work with, yeah. I got the same mindset. He was telling me, you know, it's like, uh, fuck the mainstream uh, business. Let's be only in uh, in small countries. Mm. So he used to do that. He used to get a small branded product, you know, in this country. And he used to go in the forums of developers telling them, hey guys, that's a purely Turkish product or that's the purely, uh, the purely whatever nationality product. Yeah. And he used to get like actually local community to support him because it was one of the few projects coming out of them. Yeah. So that was a good technique, I guess, for you? Um, depends on country. If you go Malaysia, Singapore, it won't work. If you go Vietnam, yes, it will. So you started this project. Um, how much money did you raise at first? Uh, so the sequence is 100,000 and then 200,000. Uh, that's in Sing dollar. Uh, after that, uh, three times of 250,000. So I get about total... Uh, okay, in between the smaller amount like fifty thousand, so in in one and a half year to two years, it's total about one point one million sing dollar, which is equivalent to eight hundred thousand USD. So in two years, you raise uh, eight hundred thousand yeah. dollar. And uh, could you get your salary back then, or you you were not getting any salary? Yeah, I got got very very minimum. 
just to enough cover. Yeah, to cover your basic expenses and yes, uh, yes, and make sure you can actually work fully on the project. Yes, and my staff have more salary than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's something that lots of entrepreneurs will do. It's like usually you're the last one getting uh, getting paid on the project. Yeah. Um, so I mean, for two years you managed to raise that much money, and uh, were you starting to generate some incomes back then? Um, not really, because uh, we face a problem of a business model. One key issue is I never uh, I'm not an online e-commerce sellers, and then when I try to do coupons, I only I only put the product for coupons to sell. I never run operations, and a lot of things have no idea how it works. The from manpower to marketing to all those is like totally no idea how it works, and when I try to do it, uh, do it badly. So a lot of a lot of things that because when you don't have experience, you go and try to do marketing, it will fail. The market response is different. So you're starting pushing your project. There is no incomes coming, yeah. and um, you raise the money. You're mm -hmm. burning the cash. Yeah. And uh, something that really interests me in this project is like, when did you start feeling that there was something wrong in the business? Because I guess you see your cash flow going down, mm -hmm. and uh, and you see you see no incomes coming in. So mm -hmm. when did you start feeling there was something? fishy, something wrong, something to be improved in the business. Okay, the second major problem is the teams that are hired. Uh, I put the person in charge of a technical. Uh, I put the wrong person inside. So the project for two years can never complete at all. It was never complete in two years. It's supposed to complete in six months to one year, but it was dragged until two years. So by the time, uh, by the time at the end of two years, we spend most of our money on salary and I cannot get a product out. So that's where I found out that everything's wrong. So how many months did you wait before you could actually get the product like in the hands of the users? We have some of the smaller scale of a workable products in the market. But for the full scale products never completed for the during the two two years period. In a two years period, so mainly because of the team behind. Do you think it was because you were lacking experience in uh, managing digital projects? Do you think what do you think was the main reason behind this? Uh, people in charge of the, the project is very important. So I pick people, uh, I trust them, and then I have the KPI, KPI for them. But the the unfortunately they never follow the KPI. And it's always a uh, face technical issues and delay and delay and delay of the final projects. And uh, that's something that truly uh, huh. impressed me. You know, it's like it's most of the entrepreneurs will, uh, if not most, a lot of entrepreneurs will get the same situation. So you, you, you get the money, start developing the product, but your product is still not live. Yeah. So if you would have to do it again, mm. how would you handle these parts? You know, those two years without the product being live, how would you do it different now? Okay, uh, what I did was that I uh, unfortunately I have to fire everyone and I have to apologize to them and of course compensate, compensate everyone. That's I, And then after that, I look for outsourcing. And the outsourcing managed to complete for me at the fraction of the cost. So, in which country have you outsourced? Vietnam also. Vietnam also. Yeah. So, you fire the team you have, uh, you look for a new team in, uh, in Vietnam and then they could release the product in less time? Yeah. Uh, they released it last year. They released last year. Yeah. So, um, how would you? I mean, out of this experience, yeah. as you noticed, you you did feel there was something wrong in the business. Yeah. When did you notice this? Oh, uh, along the way, beside technical issues, is that the uh, the business model. One of the one of the weak point of uh, as a founder is that we are not sure whether our idea can work or not. So we always consult mentors, consultants, or even the angel investor of venture capital in the market. When so uh, we can, I mean, some of them we private session with them. Then they tell us you need to have A B C D E F. Uh, and then another person will tell you you need to have G H I J K L M. So everyone will give you a different advice. And each time they give a advice, it's not, it's not that it's not wrong. It's right from their point of view. So it makes me become confused as a founder. Because this idea say, oh, it's good. The other person say it's good. Then in the end, right, I try to, I try to integrate their ideas. And the business model go out of hand. 
it becomes more and more complex and it does not it does not have the actual original plan anymore. And do you think that having a second uh, a co-founder would have helped you on this part? Mm, may not. De not uh, may not be also. Yeah, it will depend on the co-founder, I guess, and, uh, and the skills he can bring on the table. Every co-founder will have a different idea to run their business. So there will, there will be even more conflicts. Especially when one advisor says this and another advisor that is from a two different persons, two different groups of advisors. But that makes sense. It's something to definitely consider before you want to start teaming up with another co-founder. Like yeah, I, I have a second startup uh, that with a co-founders. And that, that, that's what happened. <laughs> so issue in uh, probably, you know, like getting things done, sharing the same vision. Uh, it's very difficult, even though we have a same vision, the same vision may be 60-70%, while the 20-30% can be very different. Yeah, and that's with tension when you should not get tension and you should work together, so yeah. it has to be quite challenging. So, you started this business, uh, it's not going exactly as it's supposed to, mm -hmm. it's taking time to get the product live. When you put the product live, you feel that there is something wrong. Uh, people you know, advising you are giving you different uh, views, different perspectives, different yeah. objectives, so it starts to be very confused for you. Yes, very confused. Very confused. And um, now, if you go back to the main thematic of today, it's like, um, why do you think this was the wrong business model? Because of the information you have from the investors, because you had issues in understanding the market needs. Why do you think that this idea, which was like good from your point of view, because you were solving some of the issues you noticed, why do you think this business model was not proper? Like any business uh, founders or uh, person that started the business, we never go for the business school. We just have an idea, we just go to go to do it. So there's no one guide us, there's no uh, there's no proper SOP. For example, if you want to drive a car, you got the instruction, you have to learn how to drive the car. Most of the entrepreneur just go straight inside. No lessons, no training, no nothing. So that was my that was my 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 I was also same in the same scenario, I just jump inside. So yeah, it makes sense. Like the, the, the lack of training, the lack of yes. knowledge, yes. of visions, maybe. Uh, do you think that having a, a mentor would have helped you on that? The right mentor, yes. And uh, if you have to choose the right mentor, what would be a right mentor for you? Uh, it must be from the same industry or same lines that have, they have done before. Because if they have not done before, uh, if they are not in the same, same experience, the advice may not be, be uh, may not be relevant also. So you think that experience is something that will definitely make a difference? Yes, yes. And uh, if now people want to contact you to become their mentor, in which area do you specialize more? Mm, specialize. Uh, I'm now actually very good in e-commerce. I sell a lot of things in eBay and, and Amazon. I go learn, I go learn from people and try myself also. Uh, I'm good in uh, business development, business models, and also good in uh, doing PowerPoint on uh, fundraisings, structure the company for fundraisings, what kind of uh, different investors have different idea of uh, fundraisings. Uh, I mean, this is a, this was the past few years of uh, the hardship that many things that go wrong, and then uh, from there I pick up a lot, of, a lot of information from my investors. My investor come when, when we face a problem in uh, 2016, where I have to let go everyone, uh, my investor come in, steps in and guide me. They teach me how they do business. They are from traditional business, they are not from the tech side, but the, the, the 12 steps that they teach me are actually workable in every industry. And we're going to go through those 12 steps. Uh, yeah, we will, we will go through a brief... brief uh, Brief, and yeah. uh, guys, do not forget that you will uh, get access to the 12 steps we mentioned alongside all the media, reference, links, authors, and so on, yeah. on the blog post in mistakers.co. So, Alan, let's go through uh, the 12 steps okay. that you feel can uh, help people mm. whenever there is an issue in the business model, in the team, or whatever. Yeah. Let's go through those 12 steps here to give you know a bit of more guidelines okay, okay. to the users to the users sorry to the, the people yeah. uh, when it comes to setting up an uh, online business or any kind of business if yes, I right. yes okay. so what would be the first one the first one is a customer and vendors angle so you need to understand who is your target market 
Is it children? Is it adults? If it's adults, is it work, office worker? Is it uh, medicals or whichever industry you're targeting? And these people must buy into what you want to offer them. Means uh, they will pay, they are willing to use it, they are willing to engage you, or means they will willing to pay money for you for that. So first point, make sure you have the right market fit. Yes, market fit. The customer, customer always the is the most important. So one customer, and what will be the second one? Oh no, uh, customer, the, uh, and also the vendors that support. Means uh, when you want to something, you need the supplier. Yeah. Let's so, say the, the users of the, the product you have from both sides. Yeah, so you need, to, you need to have both sides agree to what you, you have. And uh, willing to pay, pay you for both of it. So first customers and the vendors in yes, this case. Yes. What will you do the second one? Monetize angle. Means you must know how much you can make, how much you charge, how much the people from a customer or vendors are willing to pay. Sometimes they like your product, but the price is too expensive. Sometimes they like your product, but your price is too cheap. And then you don't make out of it. It's, uh, it's once again very interesting because one of the last podcasts we have the chance of, uh, of doing in, um, in Jakarta, when we came you know, to understanding what could be the three main elements when you start business, mm -hmm. the first one was understand the market fit. Mm -hmm. The second one that came up uh, out of the podcast was um, find a... Organize a company, you know, around this uh, this market fit, and uh, mm. then make money mm. out of this. Mm. So we're going again in the same direction. First, make sure there is a need on the market, mm. and you will help people that will work for you, for who at least you're going to mm. develop the business. And then the second step will be, of course, like trying to monetize it. Yeah, but you monetization does not mean it's one one income only. You can have multiple ways of uh, making money. Sometimes it can be subscription basis, can be uh, donation basis, can be. Anyhow, they just want it for... Okay, sales is emotions. It's never about logic. So if you can cater to the emotions of your buyers, they'll buy in no matter how much you put there. And in addition, if we solve one of the problems they have, it will become a key product for them. No, it's never about solving problems. It's about fulfilling their egos and their emotions and their needs. It's not about solving problems. So you will go first for emotional uh, yeah. marketing? They, when you want to buy something, you want it badly, not because you need it. For example, you buy an expensive bag. Is it that you really need an expensive bag or you can get a cheap bag? <laughs> That's an interesting way of, uh, of thinking it. I yeah. do believe it can be used in a lot of uh, retail industry. Yeah, and, uh, this, is, this, is, this is how e-commerce works. This is how the buyers in e-commerce thinks. E-commerce-wise, yes. Yes, the buyers. <laughs> yeah, of course, like when you're selling product online on Amazon, it won't be so much about like solving problems. Even though some products may be here for that, but yeah. you have a lot of a uh, huge part of the industry which is here not to solve problems, but just to be here. And yeah. to yes, they just want it. They just have a desire for it. <laughs> and the desire for it. Yeah. So what would be the, the four points, maybe? I don't know. The third point would be the technical part. If so it's the third one, right? Yeah. So if you, if you are doing a technology, your technology must be ready. If you are doing machineries, if you are doing a traditional uh, business that require machines, cars, whatever, you need to have that. But not ev some of the industry may not have anything related to technical. So if you have, you must make sure the thing can work as what your business models have. Okay. And then the fourth angle is the operation management. Now this is very important. Because for our founders, they have to do a lot of things. And if you are not good in some things, the business can fail. And then you also have to suit that. Whether you like it online or you like it Offline meeting with people. Uh, for myself, right, I don't like to meet with people. I like to do things online. So when I deal with people, uh, sometimes it's very difficult because uh, for me, one is one, two is two. I wouldn't even bother to make sure, uh, are you okay? Are you feeling how? Your family how? All those, I won't do this kind of thing. So that's my character. But if your character is a person that very outgoing, like to ask people, family, all those, then your business operation need to be uh, if it's a if it's a uh, physical operations with a staff and all those, that is your model. So you have to decide: is it fully online? Means everything just copy paste, reply, customer service, everything's online, or is it like Grab have to go to the ground, find taxi drivers, all those, or is a hybrid? And so you need to understand your business model fit which part. And then right, where you send inside, you as a founder, where you are at. And then only you can go to the next point? Yeah. Which will be? Uh, investor. Now, you have everything 
very good. If there's no investor willing to invest money, you can never exit. Yeah, you, you will burn all the little cash you might get and uh, your business will not take off. Yeah, so this part is for, because in a business you need to have an active income, means your business operation do, money comes in. There's a passive income, means you don't do anything, the, the, the money automate come in. For example, subscription basis, like for example, apps inside got a lot of services advertisement. These are all no, no need human efforts. People use it, like it, they pay money. And the third is valuation income means investor will see that, oh, you have this kind of asset, this kind of people is worth how much and that they can buy over when you want to exit. Right. So that's investor income. Uh, and investor is something that will come back regularly in the talk. Mm. It's uh, whenever you have people putting money on the business, it's mm. important to understand them mm. and make sure that you both share the same vision because if you don't share the same vision, mm. sooner or later you'll have too much tense on the project to handle it properly. Now, investor, majority of them always want to look at their ROI they also have a risk level that they can take. Some of them can take 100% risk, some of them can take 50% risk, some of them can take 10%. Each, each one of them is different. And then, right, uh, some of them, they come in, not all, some of them, uh, they come in for a purpose. It's not for the money. Okay, for example, uh, if let's say they see your app can, can save people's lives, they just want to have to help. Then they see that, this is a portfolio that I wanted to have. Even though, like Grab losing money, they still invest because they want something to happen. It's part of their portfolio, their bucket list. And um, do you have any advice to give to the listener today when it comes to finding the right investor? You need to ask them. You always ask them what is their goal in investment. They'll tell you. Because most of the time, Founders never ask, then they pitch already hoping that they will give money. But they never ask where where you're looking at, uh, is it something you like, or is it green tech, is it any other things? So your main tips will be like, be completely transparent and ask them what they want. Yeah, yeah you ask them, they'll answer you. That's one of the simplest and most interesting advice we could give to people. <laughs> it's like, I think just guys, ask them. Don't yeah, they'll tell you. If not, then they'll, they'll, they'll treat you very nice. They'll reject you very nice. But they won't say, hey, you're not good, whatever. Some of them will say, but most of them won't say. So next one will be for you. Okay. Uh, okay, your expansion. Some of the business, for example, I'm in the tech sector. I can go anywhere online. Okay, some of the business cannot. Okay, is it a local one? Is this in a shop or is it... This one have to determine your business. How far you want to go? For me, I would prefer Southeast Asia because it's where I actually understand this environment. If today you ask me to go Europe, if I ask you to go Japan, or I'm scared. I have no idea where it's there. I have no experience. If I go there, most likely I will fail. Okay. And then for uh, number seven, you need to have a partners. Okay. Some of them, uh, some of the operations of the businesses, if it's not online, you may need a local partners, whether from uh, Singapore from uh, Southeast Asia or from different countries where they can help you expand your business. Yeah, that makes sense. And especially yeah. when you ta start attacking new markets, mm. it's better to team up with people who know it better than you do. Yeah. Sometimes you go to market, instead of spending everything money, you work with your local partners that already have the market. Then you join together and expand very fast. So it depends on, still depends on your business, whether you need that or not. Or, okay. And then number eight, competitors. You need to understand who are, the who are the competitors, how much money they have, and uh, if they spend money to go against you, how can you survive on that? How can you survive? What is your contingency plan? And uh, how do you usually monitor your competitors? Uh, you look at what they do. Because competitors, when they grow big, they always announce every month what they do, how they do. And sometimes you get to know the people inside, your friends working inside, and then they'll tell you more information. Do you have any routine on this? I don't know, like every Monday you go check your computer's website or you just take with the flow whenever the information is coming? Um, most of my business model is unique. Okay, so it's seldom that we will crash with them. It's something that they don't do, I'll do. So I have less worry about that. But when I did my uh, internet cafe business last time, I know the staff of another cafe and I always ask them, how much are sales per day? <laughs> and the stuff, go find with them, they give me the data. <laughs> yeah, so it's very important to do competitor intelligence because you need this data to survive on your own business. Yes. And then after that is the uh, corporate finance angle. Now, corporate finance angle is more on your company structures. 
you can be one person, everything online, and then you make money, and then you sell if you also can. This is very less chances, but it's still possible. You can have few founders only, no staff, no nothing, everything outsourced. Or no, or if the business model is all online, only got a few founders, you can also sell away. Some because you got the number of people, number of users, the transitions, company will buy also. Not necessarily have need to have uh, CEO, CFO, or all the MNC structures may not. Right. And then also, of course, the third one, which is the MNC structures, we need to have uh, accounts department, marketing department, division, all those. Uh, this is most of the when you want to sell. To CSB, CSC, uh, these are the things that you require to put inside. So that also depends on how you want to run your business. Okay. But if you don't have some, if you don't have the, those kind of things in place, uh, venture capital may not may may not come in, or even family office may not be interested at all, or private equity may not be interested at all. Yeah, because they don't see clearly. It's still opaque box, and they don't know what's inside. How does it work? And yeah, some of them say, "Hey, one person company only." Uh, one small team company, not a big. And what if less than the team all gone? What happened? <laughs> Which makes sense from an in investor point of view. You know, it's like you get sick. What happened? Like have a seen night. Yeah. Not a good sign for the family investors. Yeah. So you need to arrange maybe from small few person. Then in future, if you want to go to that direction, so you can do the same structures. Right. So some people very very uh, uh aggressive. First day, everything there already. <laughs> and some will take a uh, longer time. For instance. Yeah. So next point for you, Vivi. Uh, okay, government angle. So when you do things right, you must make sure your compliance will legal, legal. Uh, that you don't go against any uh, regulations, and then also is it in the same direction as government or not? Because if you do the same direction with government, the government can support you or can stop you, because they may have some things that their own team doing already. So that part also, uh, for me, I try to avoid this kind of. Uh, whether it's in line or against government, I, I try to avoid this kind of uh, business model that can relate to them. So that part is where, uh, okay, this one I faced the problem in my second startup. It's a security apps, and it's in line with what the Singapore government is doing. And then in the end, uh, we face a lot of challenges to go to Singapore market. That's why we don't we, we go to France. My partner is a my co-founder is a France. That's why we go to France instead of here. Okay. So that's a government directions, <coughs> and then regulation and tax, right? Uh, important. Some of the businesses, uh, you can just from Singapore, you can operate few countries, with a one Singapore entity, because the collection of money is online. There's no need to collect money offline. So, if some of the business model required to have uh, getting the local license, the business license, uh, entertainment license, or any other licenses, then you need to set up an office there. Then that will be very costly. If you don't have enough funding, it can actually burn out your money while getting the process up. So we also need to determine right, okay, the, the regulations and tax. Of course, tax in Singapore is one of the best, 17% uh, for the companies. If you go Vietnam, is 20%. You go Malaysia, 25%. You go to Europe and US, is even even more percentage. Right? Uh, so there's a many, many issues over here. And then... Uh, for, for my side, I, I don't really like to have any companies in the States. Some companies want to do US business and they open the LLC there, open company. When you open that, right, there's a tons of regulation you have to report. A lot of money you have to spend on that. Okay. Yeah, it's time and money that you go away trying to sell some yeah. other country regulation. It's interesting. Yeah. But because you are, if you're doing a technology startups, you can collect money online. So you may not need that part at all. Solving most of the problems that may occur. Yeah, but some of the also depends on regulations. Some of the Europe company, uh, Europe country, they will say that you no matter where you operate from, you have to pay the local tax. As long as you collect money from there. Yeah. Uh, so that that part is very very important that you need to have a lawyer, accountants that help you out on that. Well, that can completely change the business model behind it also. Yeah, because a lot of fintech company in Singapore they do it without all these the regulations and the government steps in. And they've been fined, and then they have to stop operations, they have to apply license and all those. And then you lose everything you've been investing in, which is definitely not the dream, the situation for people. It could, it could, it could burn down your company. <laughs> and uh, so for you, the last point could be... Okay, country culture. Country culture. That's yeah. one of the most tricky, touchy points maybe on the list. Yes. So for example, Vietnamese, they support local products. Singapore and uh, Malaysia is a lesser. 
So if you if you try to do something, you need to understand the culture and then whether they, they, they operate in such a way or not. Okay, for example, right, uh, in Indonesia, majority of people having a, a smartphone versus uh, only a small number of people have a laptop or a PC because that is considered a luxurious item. So if you launch your business as a website only, you will not be able to move very fast in uh, Indonesia. Because uh, in Singapore, Malaysia, yes, but not in Indonesia. So this is one of the sharing by the shopback uh, founders in Singapore. Uh, they launched in Indonesia with a website. Their sales, their growth is like stagnant. But once that they launch the mobile app, it goes up exponential. So these are these are things that are cultures in terms of usage of the technologies, usage of products. You have to understand, and then some of the products is uh, very sensitive in like. Muslim country, eh? uh, it, it, it can be anything, eh? it can, uh, may not be because of religious, it can be something that in their culture they feel that it's not right, then they won't use a product, they won't use the services. So the 12 steps that could help the people listening to us today to actually make sure that the business yeah. is having the right fit will be first, um, Consider your customers and vendors. Yeah. Make sure that uh, the product solution you're working is actually helping them and not just yourself. Yeah. Think about the monetization yeah. of uh, the service you have. Consider the technical part yeah. and review a few options. And as we mentioned, make sure that you have the right skills or the right person to make sure that you can use the proper technical solution. Yeah. Operational management. Mm -hmm. Investor point of view, yes. don't forget, if people put money, there is something they want out of it, so make sure that you actually uh, synchronize uh, yeah. each other. Yeah. Uh, global expansion, when it comes to growing your business in other countries, make sure it's actually scalable and uh, easily yeah. duplicable in other countries, yes. as some business models just can't be duplicated in other countries. Yeah. Consider local and global partners. Yeah. Make sure that if you attack new markets, you have people who can actually drive you properly through those, uh, those markets. Yeah. The competition, yeah. make sure you manage to get as much information as you can from your competitors. Do anything you have to, but without this information, the day the competition will attack you, yeah. most likely you won't recover easily yeah. or at all. Consider the corporate and financial angle uh, behind it. Yes. Make sure that you know in advance which uh, tax you're going to have to pay, what regulation you're going to have, what yeah. license you're going to need, because that could completely slow down or get your business closed before you actually open. Yeah. The government side, yeah. make sure that you don't compete with governments who tend to be bad players on the market, and especially <laughs> in, in a few countries, we yeah. know that. Yes. Regulation and tax, make yes. sure that before you go somewhere, you know how much tax you're going to have to pay and yes. you don't discover after... Uh, the tax, uh, yeah. the tax review, and uh, well, make sure that uh, the the culture that you that the the country you're actually attacking yeah. is matching the same, you know, behavior, uh, culture and behavior, culture and behaviors you have. <laughs> so, guys, uh, twelve steps that you can find again on the blog uh, mistakers.co mm. uh, that are here to help you, you know, whenever you have business, whenever you feel they may have something wrong or you're going to just start new business, mm. that could be your tickle box and the 12 things you should definitely be aware of. Yeah. And uh, especially if you're looking for investors, because that's if you can answer those 12 points, you're mm. pretty sure that most of the investors could find the answers behind, behind the questions. Oh, they will love you because you, you know everything, you have almost, almost everything covered. You have most of everything covered, which is good for, for an investor that's going to give you money. Yes. And, and what is the most fucked up things that happened to you in this project? Uh, wow, this one. End of it. This part. The most, the most F up. <laughs> uh, when firing of a staff uh, is very challenging because it impact their life. It also impact uh, uh, it also impact my family life. And then uh, investor will uh, because they see that oh losing money they they don't want to put in more money. And the rest of the compositions, the rest of the business until today I have to carry on for my own money and uh, I have to find a lot of money just to continue the business. So firing people is the hardest part. And uh, in your experience, yeah. what was the most difficult things you have to do? When you tell them, sorry, uh, company, no more money to continue, I have to let you go. 
the face that they show you. Their shock face, their sad face. Uh, and it's not one person, it's 30 person. And um, have you managed to work on some, I don't know, like some um, exit plan, you know, and maybe you could give some hours to help them find a job, or is it something that's when it happens you just don't have time to consider? Um, no, that time is, is uh, myself as a founder is already too, too emotional. I also cannot think straight. So uh, the most is that we just pay composition as supposed to be uh, according to law, according to contract. And then uh, if they need any recommendations, all those uh, letters as a so-called decimal, that's, that's what I can offer. That's why I offer them also. So the easiest thing is just to let them go as soon as possible and if they need your help, they can just... Yeah, yeah. but surprising is that uh, when you do, do it in a proper manner, even if you tell them that it's the, the truth, they actually come back and help you. A lot of, uh, uh, of my ex-staff, uh, they're helping me, supporting me until today. Even they run their own company already very big, they're also supporting me. Uh, sometimes it's a very minimum cost, sometimes it's free. As long as they need any help, they actually help. Which is a very good point because, like, if you manage to end up in yeah. good relationships, you never yeah. know uh, how you can support each other on the yes on the future. Yes. If you like the podcast, want us to interview more entrepreneurs and share with you the best failures and experiences ever, you can make a little difference. By visiting mysticus.co, you can support our work with a contribution started at less than a dollar per month. Just visit any pages and click on the support us button. You can cancel the subscription at any time. And in the time being, we'll work on one of the thematics you ask us. So it's simple. Visit mysticus.co and spread the love. Okay. Alan, so... You've been running, uh, you ran uh, Virobus for, for some time. Mm. Uh, you gave us 12 tips that you share with your investors that actually help entrepreneurs to understand when the business is going in the right direction and should actually help them to pivot or reorient the business in the right direction. Yeah. Now, the interesting question will be like, out of this experience, running the company, raising money, not being able to deliver the project because of a few challenges you mentioned on the way. Mm. What do you think will be your main learning out of this? My main learning is whenever you face a challenge or a failure or wrong decisions, uh, you have to be truthful to your investors, to your staff, to the people. So when they understand that you're facing this problem, they will come and help you and they give you a lot of chances especially for investors I'm actually quite, quite lucky because my investors uh, they are reasonable and they just let me uh, they teach me and also they advise me to try my best to sustainable uh, sustain and grow the business Do you have an idea of the ratio of investors that keep following you project after project? Uh, depends on projects because uh, if they like the projects, they'll come in. Yeah, because I guess then depends on the investors that they're willing to invest more money, but they just want chance. There are so many... Uh, there's some investors, if you, they may come in one time and then they see nothing happen, then they won't come back. There are some investors that will come back repeatedly. Because they, number one, when you, don't, when you face problems, when you lose money or when you face failure, you don't run away. Uh, they know that you're responsible for your business and your life. And a lot of people, especially those that are investors, they need people like this right, uh, to, for their own projects or for your own projects. They, they need this kind of uh, committed people because you have shown them that you are a person that will take up responsibility and uh, try your best to deliver. So the main learning you, you could get out of it is like stand firm, yeah. uh, go ahead of the challenge you're going to have when yeah. there is something that didn't work as expected, well, yeah. get the consequences and uh, don't run away. Yes, and because of this, I have a lot of startups coming up. I have a lot of new, new teams and new investors coming up. And also, uh, I, was in, I was invited to be in the ICO with other friends and all those. I mean, some of the things that I never thought that I would go inside, but because of 
because of what I did and uh, to show them that I'm actually a committed person, a responsible person, then it's more opportunity to come up. It's a, it's, it's a very interesting way of, of thinking. It's, it's like whenever there is something wrong and it will happen on an entrepreneur journey at mm. different stages, at different time, mm. the best is really like uh, all your mistakes, learn from your mistakes yes. and uh, failures happen all the time. You know it before starting a project. As we, we like mentioning, over 90% of the startup will fail yes. anyway. Yeah. So you must be aware of that. And it's hard for an entrepreneur to actually confess that he failed because it became soon personal because he's the one behind it. Mm -hmm. But the day you actually understand that the mistakes you do are here to save you better, uh, that's most likely the, the path to growth because you will learn from each of them and if you can properly understand, analyze them and reuse them differently, mm -hmm. the chance of uh, improving are pretty high. Yeah, because for these people, they may lack a certain uh, skill sets that you have. Maybe you fail in other places, they have a skill set so you can come together. And make better for the next, uh, yes. for the next project. Yes. Um, so let's say, like, a part of uh, what you mentioned, you know, which is like being aware of the mistakes you've done and uh, understanding them, what, what else have you taken out of the previous experience for your boss? Okay, can you repeat again? What do you think in, in your in your day-to-day -day activity today? Uh -huh. What do you think you change after this experience? Is there anything that you definitely change, improve, or, or reorganize? Oh, um, after the variables experience, uh, most of my projects today is co-founder team, and then the rest is outsource. When the outsource team can prove that uh, they can do something, can deliver, then, uh, of course, we'll try to bring them on board, rather than just go to hire people first. So get the right people who could, we can actually control the, yeah. the suppliers. Yes. Try suppliers, and if they're good enough, get them on board with you. Yes, because if they fail KPI, you just change. Firing staff is very difficult because of the regulations. Different countries have different regulations, and it's very expensive to fire also. So... That's why when that's why we need to test out with a lot of people. Even from co-founders, partners, everything, we also will try to do one project first. Uh, whether the same project or different projects, when we can one successful project done together, means we can go for the second and third and long term. So main learning out of it, our second main learning, if yeah. I can say so. Find the right co-founders that can help you in their area. You need to hire teams. Yes. Get external team. If it works good with the external team, yes. uh, well, why not to onboard all of them? Yes. Right. That's good. Uh, you save a lot of money, a lot of cost. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it makes sense in a, in a lot of uh, industries also. Once mm -hmm. again, guys, uh, depends of course of your business. What we mentioned in the podcast may or may not mm -hmm. be used in your own uh, business environment. But mm -hmm. the idea, once again, is more to open the discussion, uh, give you some insights, mm -hmm. information, another point of view maybe, mm -hmm. to see what can or can't be done. Um, Alan... Uh, you mentioned in the, the podcast uh, Kiyosaki Robert, if I'm right? Uh, Rob Kiyosaki. Rob Kiyosaki, sorry. <laughs> Very bad with the pronunciation. <laughs> the full and original name will be available on the note of the podcast. Okay. Which book would you recommend? Book, podcast, YouTube videos, which content you will recommend? Maybe to support the 12 points you mentioned earlier, but which content would you recommend to the people listening to us today? Uh... For Robert Kiyosaki, I would recommend the later book, which is a Conspiracy of the Rich. Conspiracy of the Rich? Yeah. It talked about how the banking and finance system works, and you can actually apply a lot of uh, materials in the book into your business. It's real applications. Is there any blogs or YouTube channel you're following, or you just... No, I just buy the book and read <laughs> yeah, which is... And then read over and over and over again. Okay, and uh, which makes sense because like, you, you need somehow to get some uh, insight for, from experienced people. Yeah. So you recommend Kiyosaki, any other one that you particularly like or... No, that, that is the one that really can apply in yeah. business. Really can applicable in business. Because it has, it has a lot of... Uh, I mean, in the financial industry, 
they have a lot of uh, business method that is applying today and when you apply in your own business it's, it's good uh, I, I, I was shocked that you actually can apply in the actual in the real business itself <laughs> which uh, which makes once again a lot of sense yeah. um, and that's gonna take us to the end of the podcast okay. it's been one hour that we yeah. we went through your experience working in the corporate world starting Sebe Cafe and then raising money with the PowerPoint which is something I find truly awesome in the first time I get someone <laughs> who can actually say that so uh, if you guys uh, try something similar you know to raise money with only a PowerPoint please share your experience in the comments it's something which is far from being easy but it's something which is feasible so feel free to share the experience we uh, eager to know how you how you could have done these kind of things. Um, Alan, do you have the last things you would like to share on the podcast? <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> uh, last thing. Yeah. Entrepreneurship is a journey and uh, there's always up and down. As long as you have a goal, a clear goal what you want to achieve it. Uh, you want to uh, achieve uh, the direction can change never lose sight of your goal because it's a very lonely life it's a very challenging life halfway you can just forget your goal never ever forget your goal <laughs> so keep your goal close to you and be ready to change the directions a few times direction can change but the goal must must be the same that's uh, that's nice uh, <laughs> nice word to conclude this uh, podcast Alan uh, thanks again for your time mm. We'll, we hope you enjoy sharing your experience with us and um, you'll find that once again, guys, all the questions um, asked by uh, the editors on the, on the blog. If you have any other questions, feel free to drop us at contact at mistakers.com. Use the hashtag uh, mistakers on the social media and we'll be more than happy to connect you with Alan and uh, forward your request if any. Guys, we wish you a very nice day and we'll find you, uh, we'll see you in the next podcast next week. Ciao, ciao, ciao. We hope you enjoyed this new episode of Mysticus.co. If you did, please share the podcast with your friends and fellow entrepreneurs. And if you want to help us to do better for you, don't forget to visit us on Mysticus.co. We see you in a week for new interviews and do not forget... There is nothing like failure.